Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and thank you so very much for purchasing this series of tapes on Creation, the Flood, and Prophecy. On this very first tape, I personally am sitting behind a microphone now to teach because I think this is such a very important subject. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at several verses that talk about what's going to be happening at the time of the end, at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. How will people react to what is going on in the world, and what will their philosophies be? Well, Second Peter is going to be used as we begin this study on creation, the flood, and prophecy to help us understand that there will be those who will be willfully ignorant or deliberately forget about two of the most important events in all of history, the creation of man and, of course, the worldwide flood. These two go together, and that's why we have entitled this series, Creation, the Flood, and Prophecy. In Second Peter chapter 3, we are told, exhorted in fact by Peter, to take and stir up our minds, make them pure, by way of remembering what the apostles and what Jesus and what the ancient Jewish prophets had to say. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, just for a second. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. There it is. He wants us to activate our thinking, to have our minds, our pure minds stirred up once again and remember Verse 2 tells us what to remember, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, the ancient Jewish prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles. See, Jesus Christ told the apostles to teach and to educate, to edify, to help those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior understand what God's plan is in the past, at the present, and for the future. So, the ancient Jewish prophets, the apostles, and then, of course, the Lord and Savior Jesus himself. That's what we're to remember. What these three groups had to say are the three persons, the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. And let that activate or stir up our pure minds. Well, what's going to be happening at the time of the end? Verse 3 tells us, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. There's going to be a time, and we simply are approaching that time right now, my friend, the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, when they'll be saying, verse 4, what are they going to be saying? Where is the promise of his coming? Those scoffers walking after their own lust in verse 3. Verse 4 saying, where is the promise of his coming? We talk much about the return of Jesus Christ. We see the evidence on every hand of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. I preach and teach from God's word prophetically that there is a time quickly approaching when Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trouble of God sound, and we'll be caught up to be with him. You know, he promised that he was going to come back. In fact, in that upper room, in John chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He has made a commitment to you and to me that he will come to take us to be with him. But in the last days, there will be those saying, what about his coming? I thought he was promising that he's going to come to take us to be with him. You know what? 
In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Jesus confirms that he is not slack concerning that promise. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The only reason that Jesus Christ has not come back yet is that he's not willing that any should perish. Every evidence is that he could come at any moment. He only delays that coming. He's not willing that any should perish, but all could, should come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, what is it going to be like in those days? Are we living in those days? Second Peter chapter 3 seems to indicate to us that that's exactly what we can be looking forward to, those questioning the second coming of Jesus Christ. And why will they do that? Well, they not only question the second coming of Jesus Christ, but they will be willingly ignorant of the fact of, number one, his creation, that's verse 5, and number two, the worldwide flood. Look what it says, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For this they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That's creation. They are going to deliberately forget. The world will deliberately forget. They will put it out of their mind. You know what? In reality, as we live in this world today, we are being inundated with information in our educational system, for example. Our children go to school and they are taught the creation of man is contradictory to truth. Well, actually, the evolution of man is contradictory to God's word, which is truth. And that's what's happening in the day in which we live. And people will be deliberately ignorant of it. In fact, even some Christians will question the origins of man. And then there will be those that say there was never such a thing as a worldwide flood. Although even National Geographic in its latest discovery over in northern Turkey and southern Russia have indicated there was a possibility at least for a regional flood there, they're still not admitting this was a worldwide flood. And even in Christian circles, there'll be those that question the truth of a worldwide flood. Well, this goes along with what verse 6 has to say in Second Peter chapter 3, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's the flood. So you see, Peter the apostle is trying to activate, to stir up our pure minds, helping us to remember that God brought this world into existence. He punished it once at the time of the flood, and he is going to bring judgment again upon the earth. That's verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What is the truth is that God's word is going to be fulfilled. There will be a coming judgment. Why will those deny the reality of creation of man? Why will they deny the reality of a worldwide flood? Because they don't want to face the coming judgment. There is a connection, you see, my friend. There is a connection between the one who brought everything into existence. If God creates the beginning, he will control the end. Remember what it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
That is also talked about in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. God says, I am the beginning and the end. I know what happened in the beginning. I made it, and I can tell you what's going to take place in the end. There is a coming judgment because the one who brought it all into existence must have a final day of judgment and have a new creation come into existence. Well, we're going to be talking about the new creation on a later time in this series. The fifth in the series, we'll be talking about his new creation. But this time together, let's think as we begin this series of five hours of study on creation, the flood, and prophecy, let's think this time about creation and prophecy. Creation and prophecy. And thinking through with me, if you will, the problems of creation, the procedure of creation, and the prophecy connection to creation. What are the problems? If I had to divide the world into two parts, I would make one part creationist and the other part evolutionist. And you would have to be one or the other, either a creationist or an evolutionist. Now, for the creationists, there are problems with the reality, the truth of creation. World opinion is totally against we as creationists having the right to stand and say origins of man come about by a spoken word of God himself bringing us into existence. World opinion stands against that. The academic community is continually developing material, teaching, instructing, and influencing us to the extent that they will come against creation. They say there is only one way man can have come into existence. That is through the evolution from the beginning until today. There's been a continuous evolution, and that's why we are where we are today. So the academic community gives the creationists a problem. Determined age is a problem. They look at a tree and they say, well, this tree has been around for thousands and thousands of years, longer than what a creationist would say, and we say probably between six and 10,000 years ago, God created everything. But the evidence of the age of that tree are, for example, the stars. You go out and look into the heavenlies, you think about stars so many light years away, and they say, well, if light travels at this speed, 186,000 miles per second, and then you have to see that a star sends a light for so many light years away from us back to the Earth, that star would have had to been out there at least for 100 million years. It is the problem of determined age that a creationist has to deal with. Might I just remind you, when God created Adam and Eve, he did not create babies. He created two adults. We don't know how old they were, maybe 30 years of age, but he created two adults. They had age, so he created man and woman with age. Thus, he created the stars and trees and all that is with determined age.